0: Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Could you grab your Bibles? First Peter chapter one. Let me read to you, and then we're gonna break it down by the help of the Lord in Jesus' name. First Peter chapter one. And and this is what it, it says. Uh you're gonna to have to help me out. Who's back there? Thanks, Brother Travis. I'm gonna to have to. Do you? I've cut my notes up so bad I'd have to turn 15 pages for me to read this whole part. Uh, we're going to read First Peter chapter one, verse one through uh, 12. It says this: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered about through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, uh, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, peace, be multiplied. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that you are tested the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tested by fire, may be found the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with a joy that is is inexpressible, that's unspeakable, and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they are serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those that preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven under and things into which angels long to look. Friend, that's where you and I are living right now. That last part, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, simply says that there were a lot of people, especially in the Old Testament, that were were searching and they were believing that God was coming, that a spirit was going to fall, that a, a salvation was going to be occurred, and they testified, Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of those, they were simply telling us about what we're experiencing right now. And I'm so thankful that we have this joy unspeakable and full of glory. Would you just help me pray, and then we're going to get into the Word of God. Father, I'm so just thankful for the the presence that we feel, the Word that is alive and the, the glory that is real. And God, I'm praying right now as we go to the Word of God that you would let your living Word find residence in our living soul and bring us into a living hope in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. The Bible tells us, and, and, and I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open uh, because I'm going to just kind of exegete it out a little bit verse by verse. But there's some incredible truths that are found in that book. First off, let me remind you about Peter. On Easter, I preached about Peter. But let me remind you today that Peter would have been a lowly uh, fisherman, Probably not very well spoken, uh, not, not the smartest one in his class. He was a rough and tumble man, but because of, of just without, he could never have wrapped his mind around why God would have chosen him. Okay, maybe it makes sense. Go choose one of the Pharisees. Go choose a Sadducee. Go choose uh, someone that that has some, some smarts. Why would you choose an old rough and tumble fisherman? Peter knew what it meant to be saved. If you want to talk about being saved from an awful gulf of sin, Peter could have been there. Peter could have told you about it. Peter could have told you about how he had denied Jesus face to face and how he had let Jesus down face to face. And still, Jesus loved him. And so when Peter begins to write, you have to remember, whether it's his sermon in the book of Acts, or whether it's, it's other places in Acts that you see, or whether it's his epistles here, First and 2 Peter, you have to hear that old rough and tough fisherman come out in what he writes in. Peter begins to talk about this salvation that you and I have and if you look at verse 3, he says that it's according to the abundant mercy that Jesus Christ hath begotten us into a lively hope. We don't use that term very much now, lively, but a, a lively hope. That lively hope is also summed up in the glory of God. I learned something as I begin to study and, and see this. You know, we look at attributes of God. We look at holiness. That is an attribute of God. God is holy. We look at things such as His wisdom. God is is the ultimate of wisdom. He's the ultimate of truth. Those are attributes of God. But when it comes to the glory of God, I, I think it would be better for us to realize that is not an attribute of God, but rather everything that encompasses God is Glorious. He is glorious in His wisdom. He is glorious in His power. He is glorious in His holiness. God is glory. It's why the writers of the Bible, when they would get a vision of God or they would be translated to see God, it's why when they write, they can't explain it. I challenge you, go look anywhere in the Bible where they got a face-to-face or a vision of God and it sounds like science fiction. Wheels within the middle of the wheels and, and faces of four that on either side and, and wings and glowing and hooves and thrones and rainbows and, and, and bright colors. They cannot describe because the glory of God is amazing. Psalms uh, chapter 19 talks about how we see God's glory every time you walk out into His nature. When he created this earth, he created it and it's part of his glory. When he dealt with Israel, it was because of his glory. And when you and I were saved, it shows the glory of God. In fact, the Bible says that your glory, we talk a lot about our righteousness being as filthy rags. But if you were to read here and it's found in First Peter Uh, And he quotes 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 24 We're not going to get there uh, today But if I could skip ahead so to speak Uh, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 And he says all the flesh is as grass And the glory of man as the flower of grass The grass withereth and the flower therefore falleth away Now there's some beautiful flowers out there Uh, Sister Linda's not here this morning But she does something for my wife every year, and I, I think it's so incredible. Uh, she will always bring my wife the first rose out of her, her garden, and she calls it her rose tithe, and she brings it to my wife, and it's, it's always her first rose, and she's done this for the last two or three years. And, and, you know, it's beautiful, and many of you ladies, I doubt you men, but many of you ladies, uh, hopefully somewhere in your life you get a bouquet of flowers, and it's, it looks gorgeous. You go out, or your, your little kid goes and picks the wildflowers out there, and it looks nice, but no matter what you do, no matter how many packets of that uh, uh, cut flower stimulator you put in it, no matter how many times you try to water it, it will only last but a moment. And the glory of that rose begins to wither. It is the same with your glory and my glory. It's just going to be like grass that fadeth away but I'm telling you today, the Bible says in both 1 Peter 1.24 and then where he quotes from Isaiah 40, he says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And can I tell you today that if you'll grab hold of the word of the Lord that endureth forever, and if you will follow the word of the Lord that endureth forever, then you will have a glory that endures forever. Hallelujah. And, and so... Uh, 1 John chapter 2 leads us to this, The the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. In this description that Peter begins to write, Peter gives us two uh, ways to better understand the glory of God. The first is our birth, our new birth. And the second is our new hope. Just just help me out. We were born, and the Bible says, all of us were born into sin. The Bible teaches you and I that the wages of sin is death. What that means is your natural birth leads to a hopeless hope. That's what we have to look forward to. You're born, you're sinned, you're going to die. But there is a new birth that leads you and I to a new hope in Christ Jesus. If you go back with me to, chapter, or to verse two and verse three, this miracle of our salvation begins with God. I could, I could take you to places like uh, John chapter one. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The word was God or In the beginning was, God, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way that it took place in the deep councils of eternity and we knew nothing about it until it was revealed to us in the word of God the election was not based on anything we had done because you and I was not even on the scene that old song that says when he was on the cross I was on his mind. I like that song. It's a southern gospel song. I like hearing it. But it goes farther than the cross. He, he said several times in the Bible, different places, and he alludes to this fact. Jeremiah is one of them. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. But can I take you even farther than that? Before Adam and Eve were formed, before the worlds and the chaos existed, there was a God. And there was a God whose mind was on you. He saw you. He saw you. He knew everything about you. He knew what your name was going to be. He knew how many hairs you were going to have. He knew where you were going to be born. He knew every sin you were ever going to commit. And before time began, God said, I'm going to do something special for you and I'm going to make a way of salvation. It started the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 that you and I were elected in the foreknowledge of our Lord, of our Father uh, the Lord Jesus Christ this foreknowledge listen to me very carefully well let me let, before I tell you what foreknowledge means or doesn't mean let me read to you Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Watch this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God's thought of you came long before the cross. God's thought with you came came long came far longer before than than your birth, and and so it is that that uh, uh, let me keep going. Uh, Romans chapter eleven verse thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways are past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor, who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's how Paul tried to explain what it meant. I can't even get into the mind of God that he would love me. That foreknowledge that we are elected by does not mean that God knows who would believe and who would not. It doesn't work that way. There is no Calvinistic view of the Bible that 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 puts in there. It, it can't. It, it would raise the question, as one person said, that if we do that, it would raise the question: Who or what made us decide to live for God? Can I tell you today? That what that means, the Bible to foreknow, it means to set one's love on a person or persons in a personal way. It's Amos chapter 3 and verse 2. When God told the prophet Amos, that shepherd out there, he said, I want you to tell this to Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. What that meant was that God was putting a special love. God was saying, you are my chosen people. The psalmist said in Psalms 1-6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the godly shall perish. That's what it means to to have that foreknowledge. Or Matthew chapter 7, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That means I didn't set my mind on you. Your sins separated you from me. Or John chapter 10 verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That picture, that word picture is amazing. Because in those day and time, the the, the herds of sheep were usually not owned by just one person. They would have had multiple herds of sheep in one time. There would have been a place where this is where you kept the sheep. And there were different shepherds And they could walk out into that field and they could call their sheep and their sheep would know their shepherd's voice and the sheep could scatter and they could come and it didn't matter where in that massive flock that sheep was, it would find the voice of the one that knows him. Can I tell you today, the Bible says if any man love God, the same is known of him. You are known by God. That's an amazing thing. That ought to stir something up in you that God would look down and He would say to anyone that listens, I know them. I know them. I chose them. They are near and dear to my heart. Before they even knew about me, I had my eye on them. You've been chosen, you've been purchased, and you've been set apart. You were chosen before time. You were purchased by the cross and you were set apart by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing, that salvation. Not only is it that new birth that shows His glory, but it's that hope you have as well. And it starts with that phrase, it's a living hope. The only reason that word is, li- or the only reason that hope is living, is because it comes from a living word. What that means is that lively, uh, that lively hope, that living hope. What that means is, is it is a hope that has life in it, and therefore it is a hope that continues to grow. Has anybody ever hoped for something, and as time went on, that hope diminished? Nobody, I have, I wanted, a, I wanted a toy for Christmas and I hoped beyond all hope I was going to get that toy and as time went on and that toy didn't materialize, my hope was dashed and it went running away. I know you didn't raise your hand, but I'm in the middle of a congregation where there have been moments in your life that you have had a hope and because of whatever, that hope fades. That hope gets smaller. But can I tell you today, there is a hope you can have that doesn't fade. There is a hope you can have that doesn't get smaller as time goes by. And if you don't believe me, would you look around at some of these elderly uh, 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 Pillars of our faith. I could ask brother and sister Peters. I could ask sister Mays. The longer you live, does your hope fade or does your hope grow? It grows. I could ask my grandfather, he passed away as you know earlier, but I could ask him, it didn't matter at 90, I think two years old, it didn't matter, his hope was stronger at 92 years old than it was at 20 when he was born again, it's because we have a lively hope, this hope is real, this hope is there, in fact this hope, we see this hope, Uh, uh, Peter called it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He called the hope that you and I have an inheritance. Paul uses that same phrase over and over, an inheritance. He said in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul did. If we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, then if we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. And I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared unto the glory which shall be revealed unto us us, it is an inheritance, would you, would you look with me at that at verse 4, I love what it says, it, it uses several words, it says this inheritance, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it's eternal those words, uh, they, they, they encompass a lot, it's incorruptible, what that means is the inheritance and the hope that you have, nothing can ruin it It don't have a shelf life. It doesn't have an expired date or used by this date. It is undefiled, meaning that that hope and that inheritance cannot be stained or cheapened in any way. And it can't grow old because it's eternal. It can't wear out. It doesn't disappoint. It's why I can say today I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. What an incredible thing it is. A living hope. But let me show you something else. The Bible says that we are kept for that glory. Look at verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Who are kept by the glory of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, I I was looking through some commentaries, and I saw somebody in the commentary. They used this illustration, but it's one of those illustrations that I could have just as easily used because it's something that I've had happen to me, and you've happened to you. Have you ever made a reservation anywhere to get there, and they didn't have it? You ever done that? Yeah. You got everything planned out. You had a hope. That there was going to be a hotel waiting for you, or this or that waiting for you. Only to get there, and through somehow, some way, they messed it up. I know this seems trivial, and maybe even childish. But can I just tell somebody today, you're not going to get to heaven, and they miss your reservation. That You're not going to get there, and they go, "Uh, uh, uh, Brandon Buford, is it under any other name? Is it under any other phone number? Are you sure you talk to this? Are you sure you're at the right heaven and not the one down the street? Now, listen very carefully. I believe, I preach it, I live it. There is this, we don't lose uh, the Holy Ghost that that's that doesn't happen when you read that language what we lose is is if you are no longer walking with God, you don't get to go with God to his new home. and so there is an understanding that we are not once saved always saved. you and I have a a a uh, responsibility that we are to continue to live holy we are continue to live right we are continue to go forward in the knowledge and truth of God and and so I preach it and there's another sermon there's other times for me to talk to you about making sure you don't walk away from what God is leading okay but there is another side to that as a kid growing up as immature Christians we start asking this Am I going to lose the Holy Ghost? Am I going to lose my inheritance? And you start living this timid, you start living this this life of I'm never going to make it and I can't do it. But the Bible says this, you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I hope I can get this across because as I begin to read it and study it my heart began to jump inside my chest and if I could have and not woken anybody up I'd have danced around the table because I want to tell you somebody right here you are kept by the power of God that word kept is a military term that means you are guarded you are shielded I'm telling can just somebody get a word picture with me the Bible says angels of the Lord encamp round about them that fear him. I want you to quit living in fear that you're going to fall and falter and you're going to mess up. Somebody realize that God is keeping you with the salvation that he has. I'm going to build on this for a moment. I would take you to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's talk about this military theme. He said that in Damascus, the governor under Ariadus the king kept the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. Now this is a, a, a example of what that word kept means. Paul says they wanted me so bad. They wanted to put me in jail so bad that they brought a garrison of soldiers that, that guarded that city. Not only the police and the magistrates but a garrison of soldiers because they were going to make sure Paul didn't go into that city. Or what about, let me let me let me read Jude chapter 24 verse and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever my friend I've got a God that's able to keep me from falling I've got a God that can't wait to present me to heaven and he's able to say here is Brandon my good and faithful servant and I kept him through his life He's ready to present me, or I could take you to Romans. Uh, in Romans 8, 28 we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to them that are called according to His purpose and whom He did foreknow He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom He did predestinate He also called and those He called He also justified and whom He justified He also glorified so what can we say to these things if God before us Who can be against us? See, I'm convinced that the reason most people fall away from the presence of God, the way that most people begin to start going back into that sin like a dog to its vomit or a pig to the mud, is simply because they forgot there was a God that wanted to keep them. And they started looking at a different view of God. They started looking at a God that was controlling them. Or they tried to look at a God that was uh, distant from them. But I choose to say this. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation? Not a chance. Distress? Oh no. Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril or sword? Even if we're killed all the day long. Even if we're counted asleep for the slaughter. Sheep for the slaughter. Let me say that appropriately. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am kept in his glory. Very interesting. We, we always have this saying, and it's theological words. We talk about that, that we are justified. That's a, an instantaneous moment of salvation. It's just as if you've never sinned. That's kind of the way I've always been taught the word justification means. It's just as if I've never sinned. My record was expunged. It was covered by the blood. And then we talked about sanctification. Sanctification is the journey of drawing closer to God. When I am filled with the Spirit, now I have the wisdom and the truth and the power of God. I begin to live and walk differently. And then we use this last term, glorification. And most of the time we use that term to to say that one day we're going to be in heaven in a glorified body. But we got to be careful how we say that that's all true. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, and I've already read it, but let me say it again. Those he predestinated, we already talked about what that meant, that foreknowledge. He called. Those he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. You are glorified right now. There is a sense, and and I, I wish you could grab hold of, of what I'm saying and, and how it goes. There is this sense that that everything about you is just simply being reserved for a public. Introduction Let me explain it this way John chapter 17 Jesus is praying Father I will that they also Whom thou hast given me Be with me where I am That they may behold my glory Which thou hast given me Because you love them Before the foundation Of the world Or or it says this In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 In whom you also trusted After you That's you Heard the word of truth The gospel of your salvation After you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's your salvation. Which is the earnest of your inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What that means is you and I already have the glory of God right here but he is waiting for a moment they're going to blow that trumpet and the eastern sky is going to part and if you could help me with the word picture, if you could help me with a glimpse there God almighty is standing there at the portals of heaven saying those I've already glorified I now get to show off, I now get to bring them to their rightful possession, I now get to parade them in front of all of the angels and in front of all of the seraphims and the cherubims, those that I glorified, those that I kept, they're coming home, and I get to show the world the ones I called. That's the glory of God that you and I have. And, and not only that, but we're prepared for His glory. Now, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I, I did so last year and, and, and we talked about life and we talked about trials and, and, and we talked about other things that mess us up and I use 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 that we need to greatly rejoice if even for a season you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it may be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory to the appearance of... Of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go into all that again. But can I tell you the Lord loves you so much. That he doesn't. He wants that glory to shine. And sometimes in making you shine. He's got to do a little buffing. And he's got to do a little cleaning. And he's going to make sure that that gold that he's brought you in. Is refined through the fire. It's all because God sees what you can't quite see right now. And so it's there. But let me, let me go a little bit further. I'm not, I'm not going to spend time on that. I love heaven. I, I love preaching about heaven. I love singing about heaven. I love looking forward to heaven. But as I preached, uh, I think last Sunday, uh, or maybe even Wednesday, I'm getting my sermons mixed up. I, I'm trying to help you and I understand that you don't have to wait to rejoice until you get to those golden streets. There is a glory and a joy unspeakable that you ought to have right now, let me remind you First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. In whom you've not seen, you love. Anybody seen Jesus? I've not. I've, I've seen his word. I, I've seen my own uh, vision or, or mind, you know, how my mind tries to picture him. But he hasn't shown up at my bed yet. He hasn't written on the wall yet for me. He's not put me in the cleft of a rock and passed by. But even though I've not seen him, I sure love him. And if I've not seen him yet, I still believe. And I like what he said you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. This, I I want, I am well aware that life has a way of giving us unexpected turns. I am well aware that things come and rise and fall, and God put emotions inside of us. And some days I have tears, and some days I have worries, and some days I even have fears. I'm not going to tell you living for God is all uh, roses, and, 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 and rainbows, and unicorns, and everything's going to be perfect. That'd be insane. But I will tell you that even in the trials, you still ought to be able to see the glory and joy of the Lord. And I have learned to watch. As a pastor and a shepherd, I've learned to watch those that, have, that for every uh, practical purpose, they ought to be bent low. But I've watched them raise hands and, and somewhere, maybe they didn't say it, but their whole life lived it. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let me help you out. There's four things that that I found. Four things that will help you enjoy that glory right now. Even as Peter said, you're in the midst of trials. The first glory, or the first thing that you can do is just simply love Him. This love is not based on a, a, a physical sight. We haven't seen Him. The love we have is based on a relationship and it's based on the word of God that I have. Everything I've been preaching today. You know what I love about this church? I love that I can preach the word of God, and y'all get excited about it. Now, I, I like. I'm working on a sermon right now. It, it might come come forth next Sunday. I'm working on a sermon. It's gonna have a an illustration that we're gonna go forth, and it's biblical. But there's a lot of illustration into it, and and I enjoy those too. But. I really enjoy just being able to read the Word of God with hardly any commentary. And y'all start saying amen and hallelujah. See, when you get into the Word of God, it, 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 you begin to see what that Word tells us about the Lord. And we find that the Word tells us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has poured out God's love into our heart. And that we return that love into Him. Those of you, and I guess we're going to have one, Sister Buford, pretty soon. But those of you that remember the little children, they, they fall down and they scrape their knee. They run into a doorknob. What's the first thing they do? It's usually mom, but they run for a parent. It's as simple as that, friend. When life deals you a blow, you ought to look up. And say, Daddy, you ought to look up for your redemption draws nigh. When trials come, reach for Him. When hurts come, reach up to Him. Why? Because your experience, your knowledge, your understanding of God supersedes anything you might go through here. Not only ought you you to love Him, but you should trust Him. We live by faith. not by sight that faith has an element of surrendering and obeying in spite of the circumstances and consequences and that love and faith go hand in hand most of you do not trust unless you first love the trust we have comes from a love. It comes from a relationship. And so I'm telling you today, the more you learn to trust Him, the more you learn to love Him, the more then that fourth or that third thing, the more you begin to rejoice in Him. You don't have to rejoice over every circumstance, but you can rejoice through every circumstance. Because I love Him. The Bible tells me he's never going to leave me for or forsake me. Because I've trusted his word, it tells me that he knows and he holds me with his right hand and he's going to be with me. I could take you to Abraham who in the middle of the hardest trial of his life when he was about to sacrifice his son, realize you can trust God and then later you can rejoice through it. I could take you to the three Hebrew children that understood the nearness of God's presence as they walked with heads high into a fiery furnace and realized that He is there with them in the middle of their worst trial. I could show you Paul that said His grace is sufficient for me. That joy is unspeakable and full of glory. So deep, so wonderful that it's hard to express it. Words fail us. Oh, we give testimonies and we do all of that, but I stand here today and I will tell you when nothing else comes to mind, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And verse 9 through 12 says the fourth thing not only. Do we love Him? Not only do we trust Him, not only do we rejoice in Him, but we receive from Him. God is constantly pouring out and meeting our needs. Meeting our needs. Hallelujah. Would you stand today? There's a, I don't know anything about this writer. I'm just simply pulling a quote I had seen the, 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 the commentator that I saw this quote from identified H.L. Minkickin as a cynical editor and writer. This is what they quoted coming from, from H.L. Minkickin. He said that hope is a pathological belief in the occurrence of the impossible. That basically hope is a, a pathological useless belief that the impossible might happen if that's what the world says hope is let them be it but that is not what my Bible tells me hope is now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, meaning that when I serve a God that sees tomorrow, when I serve a God that sees on the other side of my mountain, when I serve a God that's higher in His ways and knowledge is higher than I, it is a confident assurance that there is a future glory, that there is a future blessing coming. And I'd like to tell somebody here today that if you were standing, listening to my message and you you kind of enjoyed the sermon and the word of God but you find it really hard to have that joy unspeakable. I'm asking you, I am pleading with you, I am begging you. You need to get back into Psalms 51 verse 12 when David lifted his head to the Lord and said would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because I'm telling you today, the mark of a relationship with God is best seen in joy unspeakable and full of glory. I wonder for a moment, would you lift your hands, would you lift your voice, and would you now let God's word that I have reached, would you let veins, it speak to I you right now? The king, in his name. There's no devil that can come again. Blast, I've been blessed. blessed I have been set free. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I feel the joy of the Lord falling. Fresh on me. I feel the joy of the Lord delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost all over me. I feel the joy of the Lord